If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we can just we can just sense in Paul's voice the anguish that he has over what has befallen these brothers and sisters of his in Galatia. And Lord, as he speaks to us from 2000 years ago on his first missionary journey or after his first missionary journey, Lord, may his words Sting our consciences and bury into our minds as much today as they did 2,000 years ago. Lord, I pray that each and every one that is here today would not drift in their conscience, would not let the demonic forces that will encroach upon us as the Word of God and as we worship you as they will encroach upon us to try to stifle what you were doing here. We ask that you would help us to be alert, to pay attention, and to hear what the Spirit has to say to us today. And Father, we ask all that in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, now this is basically part two of this message. Uh, you should have notes in your... Um, in your bulletin, and what you'll find is that in my wonderful penmanship, I have filled in a lot of the blanks for you. I, my daddy used to tell me I was going to be a doctor because you couldn't read what I wrote. And of course, I am a doctor, so Charles Spurgeon says we're doctors of the Spirit. Amen? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk you through the uh, the first few uh notes there and just kind of re reposition us in the text. So if you weren't here last Sunday or Sunday before last, you'll know where we are. 
Now, again, the name of the message uh, is pastoral frustrations. And as I, I always have to, I always feel compelled to give a disclaimer because it, it never ceases to amaze me that, w- that whatever text I preach on occasionally, there'll be someone that comes to me thinking that I have chosen a specific text because I've targeted somebody in, in the congregation to preach at. Well, I got news for you. That's not me doing that. That's God doing that. <laughs> So, I mean, if, if you come to church and you feel like, that, you feel like that, that I'm after you, I'm not after you, God's after you. And I, let me tell you what, he is to be feared much more than me or any other man, amen? And, and that's what we come here for. I mean, if you come here to feel good and get the warm fuzzies, you know, maybe you need to go somewhere else. I mean, coming to church is about being admonished in the Word of God. It is about being encouraged in the Word of God. But most of the time, brothers and sisters, it is about being corrected with the Word of God. It's about our fleshly tendencies and our materialism or, or whatever other fleshly thing that we've become ensnared in, pleasure-seeking as we are. We come to church and the Word of God chips away those areas in our life that need to be chipped away. Amen? So that's what Paul did. Most of his ministry was to write corrective letters. He preached the gospel. People would be saved. And then he would get news about what's happening in the churches. And then he would write letters back to try to correct them in their, in their false beliefs or in their error. And that's what he's doing here. Uh, we know, just to give you a brief, just a brief, we know what's happening here. Paul has gone on his first missionary journey. He planted these churches. There was a, there was a great Gentile reception uh, to, to the uh, gospel being preached. And then he hears somehow that, that now these Judaizers have gone in, which were basically Jews that, were, that, that, that wouldn't argue that Jesus was the Messiah. But what they would do is they would try to get these Gentiles to become Jews to somehow complete or bring to fulfillment their salvation. And Paul is saying that is absolute utter heresy. You do not add anything to Jesus Christ. It is by faith and faith alone outside of works. And all God's people said... Amen. So what's happened here is he has given us, we are in chapter 4, so we've gone through three chapters in about six months. And that's actually a pretty good pace, brothers and sisters. I know some of you think, man, when are we going to get out of Galatians? Well, I mean, it's God's Word. Each and every word of this book is profitable for us as Christians. We need to be in no hurry to go anywhere. We need to sit in it. If God wants us to sit in it for three years, we need to sit in it for three years, and we need to hear the message that it has to say to us. So what he, first of all, in the first three chapters, what he does is, is he tries to establish his apostolic authority of who he is and the fact that God has really called him and that they need to listen to what he says because God, because Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, brought him a revelation when he put his face in the dirt at Damascus and then spent three years in Arabia. And we really, I spent like three or four Sundays hammering that in because the one thing you will find, you'll find people that don't have any problem with Jesus. They love Jesus. Oh, Jesus. But when it comes to Paul, you'll hear things like, well, Paul wasn't always right. Well, Paul didn't know what he was talking about that. Well, Paul lived back in the ancient Near East. Well, he doesn't live here with us today, and things are different here today. You've got to be real careful in developing attitudes like that toward Paul because the exact same gospel as he repeats several times in this letter is the gospel Jesus Christ brought. That is the gospel that Paul preaches. Amen? So we have to listen to him, we have to believe him, and we have to accept his teachings. So he spends about three chapters doing that. Um, Excuse me, two and a half chapters, or coming into chapter 3. Then in chapter 3, after he has this confrontation with Peter at Antioch, 
and has to confront him before the whole church. Remember studying that? That's kind of a nail-biter to see the two great apostles going at it with one another over, over doctrine, but that's exactly what happened. And then in chapter 3, all the way through about chapter 4, he focuses on what most scholars believe is the primary thrust of Galatians, and that is justification by faith alone. And he tries to go with the Judaizers and he tries to help them to understand that just because Moses had, had, had the covenant of Sinai, that did not somehow supplant the covenant that was given to Abraham. And that, believe, that, that it's always through faith that we are saved, not through adherence to the law. And he spends just, just verses and verses going through that uh, in chapter 3. Now, in chapter 4, uh, after he gives us the adopted sons, if you look in verses 8 through 11, just in your notes there, adopted sons should not desire slavery again. His point there is, is that these Gentiles have been in a pagan idolatry. Pagan idolatry. If you want to learn about that, read Acts 13 and 14 when, they try, when, when Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra and, they, and, the, and the, 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 the priest of Zeus comes out and wants to sacrifice a bull to honor Paul and Barnabas because they, they think they're these gods that they've heard about their whole life. And they stop the whole ceremony, tear their clothes and get, start yelling and telling them, stop, we're men just like you. And during that, and then they, they, they take him out of, they stone Paul, they drag him outside of town and pretty much leave him for dead. So they're, they're involved in this, in this idolatry of worshiping most likely demonic spirits manifested in Greek mythology. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, you have been adopted out of that through your faith in Jesus Christ, through believing the gospel. There has been birthed in you an adoption to God, the real God of the universe. And why in the world would you want to go back into slavery to the elemental spirits that you once, that you once were enslaved to? And one of the examples I gave you on that was, um, was uh, addiction. How many Christians do we know? I know dozens of them that, that, that truly, I believe, truly come to Christ. They truly hear the gospel and they truly believe. But when, when something goes wrong or there's a struggle in their life, instead of hitting their knees in prayer or getting more involved in the church or going to a Christian brother and sister, they go back to their old ways. They go back to what they know from the old days of what worked for so many years but then stopped working and then they became desperate and they became they realized that they were enslaved then they accepted Jesus. But, that, but that's what happens. They were, they were teetering on the brink of, 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 of truly moving forward with Christ or going back into slavery to the elemental spirits. Then we come down to the next one. And what Paul points out here in these few verses, especially in verse 8, is that in the beginning, when he came to this, these churches in Galatia, they received him with open arms, brothers and sisters. They loved Paul. He was obviously had some type of illness. Most scholars are divided on what it was. Some believe it was malaria. Uh, others believe it was some form of, um, of epilepsy. Others believe it was just some other form of illness. I personally believe that, that he had been beaten up so many times. Uh, as a missionary, and he, he was not a young man, so that when he got to this group of Christians, that he, it, it took a lot of nursing and took a lot of healing and, and took several people overseeing his health for probably several weeks or months before he was able to take care of himself again. And he's, that's what he's saying. He said, when I came to you, you received me. You received the gospel. You received me as you would receive Jesus Christ. But now something has happened 
Now the shepherd that was once respected has now been rejected. I know at some time, maybe, maybe before you became a Christian or, or, or if you've, you know, maybe you've had experience with several churches, but there will sometimes come a time in your life when you go from really loving who your preacher is to really not being so crazy about your preacher anymore. Sometimes it's the preacher's fault. Sometimes it is. But in my experience, most of the time it's not the preacher's fault. Most of the time, the individual in the church or whoever it is that's in their life has, has befallen into some sin or has some pleasure that he or she wants to partake in or they have, they have realized the, the American dream or the American individualism in this part of their life they want to hang on to, although Jesus says to what? Give it up. For the body of Christ. So as preachers and as leaders in the church, we can't turn a blind eye to that. We can't turn a blind eye to sin. We can't turn a blind eye to the, to the types of things that, that destroy people's lives and destroy unity in the church. So we have to push against that in a lot of different ways. And what happens is, is that flies against the culture of it's none of your business that we have in America today. What's none of your business, preacher, what I do in my own time? It's none of your business how I run my life. It's none of your business about what I do from this point to this point. Well, i got news for you, brothers and sisters. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? If it's God's business, it's our business. Amen? But we don't like that. And this church in Galatia, these Judaizers came up there and they liked what they had to say. And they had their beautiful phylacteries, and they were probably a little bit younger than Paul, and they probably talked in a way that was different from him. They probably hadn't been beat, probably didn't have scars, probably didn't have uh, whatever the ailment was that's, that's talked about in Scripture. And the personality that they had just drew them in, just drew these Galatians in. And Paul has to push back. And he has to say, I don't care how much you like what they've got to say. I don't care how much you like these ceremonies and this old Judaism they're trying to bring back into you. It's not right. And you are in danger of falling away from the gospel. And something happened and they turned on Paul and they received these false teachers and turned their back or were in close danger of turning their back on Paul. Because I'm going to tell you, we don't like, brothers and sisters, and I, I'm one of them, we don't like being told what to do. Amen? We don't. We don't like being told what to do and what to believe. But brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you are a Christian, God has told you what to believe. Amen? And if He hasn't told you what to believe and you haven't believed it, you're probably not a born-again believer. You don't just come to Him any way you want to. You come to Him one way and one way only, and that is through Jesus Christ, through faith alone. But we live in a time where that is very, very uh, politically incorrect. We have to accept everybody's religion. All, oh, they're just pathways up. They're different paths. What, what, what do they say? It's different pathways up the same mountain to achieve the salvation of the same God. That is complete and utter falsehood. Either Jesus Christ is who he said he was or he's not. Period. So Paul goes from being respected to being rejected. Now look at verse 17 and 18, and then uh, these next two points. This is where we'll finish up today in this message. Verses 17 and 18. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Verse 17. They make much of you, 
but for no good purpose. That means they were flatterers, brothers and sisters. They came in and told them how great of a job they were doing, told them, man, you've really done great so far. Things are looking good for you. But they're trying to win them over from a gospel of grace alone to a gospel of works and legalism. And that's why Paul says, but for no good purpose. They're zealous. And zeal is good, he's about to say. Don't y'all agree with that? Isn't it good to be excited and zealous about something? The, the, the brother Ben that, that read offer, the offertory scripture today, Ben is zealous about computers. He's a good technology guy. I want somebody excited about that, don't you? There's enough boring guys in the technology business. I like Ben because he's excited about it. He knows his stuff. He's zealous about it, and it's for a good purpose. But these guys were for no good purpose. Paul says, they want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now, I love this part, and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. All right, verses 17 and 18. Be zealous for truth and not charismatic personalities. Be zealous for truth and not charismatic personalities. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the biggest issues our country has, and probably the world, I'm just going to pick on our country because I haven't been many other places, but we are obsessed with celebrityism. We are, we are obsessed with personalities. We are obsessed with, with, with great athletes. We're obsessed with great hunters. We're obsessed with great personalities from the past. We can be obsessed with great theologians, amen? We can be obsessed with these great men in the past and great missionaries of the past. We can be obsessed with them and not put the focus where the focus belongs, which is on the truth of who Jesus Christ is, was, and continues to be today. Paul says they are zealous to win you over. This word is zeleo, and it means jealous and eager to possess. But Paul says it's for no good. Why? Because this was a false gospel. And what they are trying to do, and it's really Satan working through them, was to alienate them from, from, from Paul and his ministry. They were coming in and they were trying to make Paul look bad, make Paul look dumb, make Paul look like he was, he was actually an antagonist to the Jerusalem apostles. They were trying to really cast a lot of doubt on who he was to try to break, to try to break them away from Paul's gospel. And that word means to shut out or to exclude. How many of y'all have ever, when you were a kid, did you ever have anybody that you called a friend stealer? None of y'all had friend stealers. So I guess I just had people steal my friends all the time. But you know, you know what a friend stealer was? I mean, you go to school and you meet this young guy or this, this boy that's your age and y'all all of a sudden just hit it off and you have this great relationship. And then all of a sudden, this other kid that maybe dresses nicer than you or something, I don't know, but he just woos that friend that you just made away from you and then almost, in a sense, takes that other friend away and maybe that other guy doesn't really like you, so he tries to poison your friends. Now, you, we would say, well, that's not a friend then, and I agree with that, 
but we're talking kids, so let's just follow the analogy for a second. So they try to poison that other boy's mind to where now you don't even really have the friend anymore. In theological circles, it works very similar. If you're in one theological camp, one camp here and one camp here, what will happen is, is over time, people will try to turn other people against you in theological camps to believe what they want you to believe. Church is very similar. Sometimes you'll have people in one church that want to go one direction with the color of carpet in the sanctuary. Other people want to go the other direction with the color of carpet in the sanctuary. And before you know it, what's happening? Friends are betraying friends over things that really have no eternal value whatsoever. So we should always be zealous for the truth and not charismatic personalities. These false teachers, presumably the Judaizers that we have been talking about for months, had come behind Paul with their impressive speech and lofty doctrine and nearly supplanted Paul's gospel. They had listened to these zealous teachers and no doubt had been wooed by them and were in danger of being alienated, shut out, and excluded from the true gospel of grace and exchanging it for one of works all because of the personalities involved. What did Paul say? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So when you hear things like, this is one of the most famous ones that I've heard over the past few years, but we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge. Yes, we are. When it comes to Christian doctrine, when it comes to a man or a woman that claims to come in the name of Jesus Christ and claims to bring you the message of salvation and eternal life through Jesus, it is your mandate as a brother and sister in Christ to judge and examine the doctrine that they bring before the public to see whether it's true or not. That's what, that's what he means. John means by test Every spirit. What does he mean by that? Listen to what they say. And if what they say measures up to what the Bible says, then most likely they're a true teacher. But when they bring a message to you and you test it and you compare it to what the Bible teaches and it does not measure up, then most likely they are not truly a true teacher sent from Jesus Christ, sent from God. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 says something very similar. Paul writes to Timothy, if anyone, do you hear that? Doesn't matter if it's Oprah Winfrey, doesn't matter who it is. Anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. And for quarrels, I love this, quarrels about words. Quarrels about words, which produce 
envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness, listen to this, godliness is a means of gain. I never will forget as long as I live. There was a man that I believed was under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the day he came to me and told me that he believed he was a Christian, the next words out of his mouth were this, I can't wait to see what God is going to give me. And I was so, that was a young, I hadn't been a preacher for two years. And I was so taken aback by it that I wasn't ready, I, I couldn't think fast enough to correct what he was talking about. And I watched that man over the next two years, and, and I walked with him, and I tried to teach him doctrine, and, and he and his wife got, got into a, a horrible situation, and I entered into it, and I tried to minister to them. And, and it, just, it just, it never really came around, and it never worked out. But, but that man claimed to be a Christian. Claimed to be a Christian. But he wants to know what God is going to give him. Brothers and sisters, God has already given you everything He's got. Do you understand that? God has given you everything He has in Jesus Christ. It's not Christ plus everything else. Jesus has given you all He has. It's not about anything else but the truth of who He is. The heavenly riches is what you're going to get upon your death and ascend into heaven and be with Him forever. It is the eternal riches. It is the internal inheritance. It is a constant praise and worship and presence with God Almighty. But I want to know what God is going to give me. He's given you everything. He's given you everything. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant fear. That almost describes a business meeting, doesn't it? (laughs) That's humor, brothers and sisters. Who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So we must be constantly aware of zealous false teachers. Because brothers and sisters, many times we think because they are so excited and because they are so charismatic that they are anointed by the Spirit. And they are. But it's just not the Holy Spirit Spirit they're anointed by. It's a demonic spirit. The Galatians had been bewitched. Foolish Galatians. And he says, verse 19, My dear children, my dear children, for whom I begin in the, chains of child, the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So what do you sense there? What do you sense in that verse, brothers and sisters? Do you sense a man that's ready to throw in the towel and just abandon them? No, that's not what you sense at all. What you sense there in those verses is a man that is personally committed and personally grieved over what has happened in Galatians. 
They were his brothers and sisters in Christ. They were his co-heirs. Their blood would have been on his hands had he not gone there and shed the gospel. And now they are being bewitched. They are being fooled. They are being dragged in back into the darkness with legalism. And it so grieves his heart. He can't stand it. I wonder if that describes the average attitude of the average believer in the average church in our churches in America. Do we honestly, because let me tell you what, it's not just the preacher's job to care about other people's spiritual standing. Amen? Amen? It's not. So when we look around and we see brothers and sisters in Christ that aren't coming, that are believing weird things and saying weird things and doing weird things, what do we do? Preacher, you need to go see so-and-so. It's just not working out well for him. Since when am I the one supposed to go see everybody in this church and to teach them and tell them to turn around? The way I read this Bible, every single one of us is called to walk in accountability with one another. You want to know why your churches aren't growing and why you're not seeing churches that just... Because the preacher's expected to do everything. Put out every fire. We continue that model and you will continue to see churches close all over the United States over the next 15 years. We change that model and we really begin to equip the men and women in our churches, and we, we enter into the sufferings of those in our church that are having problems and walk alongside them and don't fear talking to them because we might make them an enemy for telling them the truth. You see where I'm going with all this? Your point is we must persevere. We must persevere with believers led astray by false teachers. We must persevere with believers led astray by false teachers. But you see, our culture, our culture here in America is so money-centered and so pleasure-centered and so comfort-centered that we don't want to put ourselves out for anybody else I actually, I actually stumbled across a recent book written by a conservative scholar who just finished a Ph.D., and he teaches preachers how to identify people in a congregation that are emotional drains and how to stay away from them. I was lambasted. I couldn't believe it. Where is the Christianity in that, would somebody tell me? Avoid somebody because they're an emotional drain on you. What? You think Jesus feels that way about his church, brothers and sisters? It may, it enraged me. I wanted, I wanted to pick up the phone and call. I, I had to pray in my office for 15 minutes. Because this is gonna, this thing is gonna be printed and it's gonna be sent out to thousands of other preachers. And we're gonna have preachers and teachers in churches that take this profile and they identify broken people in the church. And they're going to avoid them because they're emotional drains. Give me a break. I would say that if you have never been in tears over a brother or sister that is going through a divorce, if you've never been in tears over, over a husband and a wife that have a child that is in their late 20s or early 30s and has not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not been te- in tears and burdened over those things, shame on you. Shame on you. What are you focusing on? 
Your 401k? Your vacation? What is it about? Is it about the church and those emotional drags in the church? Or is it about you and what you want to do with your life to not be burdened by those that are here? We must persevere with believers led astray by false teachers. Look at the, look at the terms he uses. My dear children, what a term of endearment. Paul, now, you, you, do you follow? I hope you follow this. I mean, he's like, you're bewitched. You're foolish. You're this. And then the, and then chapter four, my dear children. Kind of sounds like a father-son talk, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Oh, I'm the only one that gets mad and raises my voice at my children sometimes. Okay. Y'all are all going to get in trouble for lying. But he returns to his parental spirit as he compares himself to a mother in the birth pangs. The pains of childbirth, he says, I'm in travail. I'm in the suffering birth pangs whose souls I am striving with intense effort and anguish to conform to the mind of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Childbearing. I mean, that's he... he and, and how long does childbearing take? Hello? Nine months. Nine months, right? A long time. And it's painful. I, 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 Angie's first trimester, I'm going to tell you what. I dreamed about running off in the night. It was rough. I mean, it was rough. Get me this, get me that. You know, I mean, she's not here. I, I would preach this way if she was here too. You know that. And it's worth it. I mean, all the child, all the pain that you go through is worth it. But that's what Paul's saying. And we preachers and brothers and sisters in Christ need to understand that there are those among us who are not saved, brothers and sisters. They're members of this church, but they're not converted. And if we'll watch their lives, we can see Jesus and God shouting out to us and telling us that they're not. And instead of killing them, what are we supposed to do, Paul says? Nurture them as a mother nurtures her children because they have been wooed away from what they first believed. We've got hymns that sing about it. Wandering from the God we love. We are sheep and we are prone to wander. But we must nurture them like a mother nurtures her children. And then until Christ is formed in you. Meaning Christ is formed or fashioned or shaped or molded. Get this. Now this is a medical term for the growth of the fetus into an infant within them. It is as though Paul is saying that he must possibly, possibly labor again to see that the embryonic Christ may be developed in them again because he did not want them to suffer a spiritual miscarriage, but desired instead that Peter says in his letters that their calling and that their election may be sure. If you cannot get a pastoral heart and not understand the grief that leadership and churches go through from chapter 4 in these few verses, you never will. All scholarship agrees that these few verses here are a look into Paul's heart that is very rarely seen in any other letter that he wrote. That maternal spirit, that maternal desire 
to see children, my dear children, to see them taken from the profession of faith and from believing in Jesus Christ to seeing them mature into disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. To where the husband is to the head, as to the head of the wife, as Christ is to the church, where the father teaches their children, where they're involved in the church. And it's more than just a religious occurrence. It's actually coming here to experience the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just something to do on Sunday. Amen? I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to hear Paul's heart. We're going to have a time of just a brief time of response. And I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through, and I know it's rough. I know it's real rough. I've been in ministry for 15 years, and I know that, 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 that some of you are, are just going through some really hard times. And I've been through some really hard times too, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that if you will submit your life, get out of this I, me, more, mine mindset. Get out of that and get into the Word of God and look at the relationships in your life and look at the mistakes that you've made and the things that you've done that have possibly contributed to it and be willing to do whatever it takes. Do you hear me? Did you hear what I said? What I say? Whatever it takes to make it right, and God will honor it. He will honor it. But I can promise you this, brothers and sisters, and again, I don't know what you're going through, but if you take whatever the situation is and you sweep it under the rug and you try to come up with whatever you think God's will for your life is without visiting this book first, I can promise you, I can promise you, it will not glorify God and you will be worshiping demons and you will not be worshiping the true God of the universe because His wisdom begins here. Amen? It begins here. Not in my heart because my heart's wicked. Infinitely wicked and deceitful. Beyond cure, Jeremiah seventeen nine. This is the mind of God. And if you want it for your life and you want it for your family, get in this book. Get out of your own mind. Get out of your idolatry of worshiping your career. Get out of your idolatry of worshiping whatever it is that you're worshiping and get in this book and serve the living God of the universe. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Paul's heart in chapter 4.